What's up, everybody? Sorry to interrupt you back here. Um, we're here for our Jordan Doc recount. Tom, what's going on, pal? How are you? What's up, man? No music today, just our beautiful voices serenade the people hopefully staying home quarantining. Oh, excellent. After they heard our about hour long, um, I wouldn't even call it a pop culture, just life chat, which was nice. Got a lot of good feedback from that. I did too. Yeah, man. Um, I think we've got to do that, you know, a little bit more often and just, uh, you know, give our opinions on everything because, you know, it feels like we're stuck in the same situation, but things seem to be moving a little bit more quickly as far as people's anxiousness to get back to whatever normal was, reopen. The country's obviously totally divided. So, you know, we'll talk about that when it's necessary. But, um, Spoke to my cousins briefly about my thoughts on the child labor laws, Um, the younger ones. A lot of pushback. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised. A lot of pushback. Well, one of them. Did you honestly think you were going to get like total unanimous support on this? Well, not from them. I knew what I was going to get, and they barely spoke to me. One was face was buried in the Nintendo Switch, and the other one's face was buried on the PS4 at the same time. So we call them. We call them soft. No, that's not soft. That's just rude. But I'm sure I was rude back in my day. But there's other things that they do are just extremely soft. Like their dad was saying, oh, you could do community service to make up time. uh, Because everybody has to do community service to graduate high school. I don't know if that's like a countrywide thing, but at least around here you did. Um, We had like internships. Yeah, yeah, some some ritzy schools like that had that, you know, where I grew up, tough streets, we had to do community service. Um, not tough streets and also not my fault that um, you were in that spot. And, um, yeah. And you've been trying like, to get out of there ever since. <laughs> I'm out now. Um, <laughs> and um, he was like, yeah, they have the thing where you can, um, I guess, like, in the town you can – let me just remind everybody, this is this is one of the nicest towns, like, ever. So it's not like you're working with, like, prisoners in the worst city in America. So he was like, yeah, you can go do trash pickup for a few hours a day. And he was like, you have to work outside in the hot sun? Uh, I was like, oh, my God. I would put this kid out and make him sleep in the garage or something. <laughs> you're going to make one hell of a parent. Um, yeah, I just think uh, everybody in their something. life should do hard labor at one point in their lives. Like for why a job. Just, why? Why don't you just work and like take pride in what you do and you're good? Because I, I think people take labor, people that do hard labor for granted. I think when you're in college for at least one summer, before your internships are important, your junior and senior year, freshman or sophomore year, you should have to. You should do hard labor. I'm not saying it should be a law. That's crazy. I don't think that should be a law. But I think, like, I would like to see my kids do hard labor. Their maybe their senior summer, high school, or freshman year, or whatever, to earn some money. Okay. What about if they? Just I won't be like mad if they worked... shift at a bad job. Like no, if they no, had to work I, like I agree. Department like, store stocking shelves and all that shit. No, I I don't think I don't think that they I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. If you have a job, in my eyes, clearly you're ahead of the eight ball. I just think hard labor should be done. <laughs> well, you really want it to be done because you're trying to you know accelerate this demolition room. 
plan that you brainstormed well, no, that last I don't need labor. Remember, I cut out the labor. I don't have any overhead on that. No, 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 people no. You want the me. labor for people that you want the labor for the people who are going to come in and clean it all up. Oh, we got that Remember? covered. Community, Community service. service. Community service, yes. baby. Yeah, yes. we're going to have people from about. prisons and whatnot do that. Right. I don't want a kid well, doing I mean, that because they don't work that hard. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't work but as that long hard. As, it, as long as it gets cleaned up. But you're trying to instill that killer, you know, that no, dog. No, Sean, when you're running a business, it's not as long as it gets cleaned up. The job needs to be done well, and it needs to be done fast, so I can move on to the next job. Time is money, boss. All right. Well, either way, I think uh, the pushback that you're getting is seems about right. Expected. Um, it, it was absolutely expected. But, you, you know, I was just letting you go on those. There was really nothing that I needed to say. I think it was important that you got your thoughts out there. And now, you know, people can continue to, to berate you with pushback. Or maybe you got a couple people in your corner and you start some kind of uh, enterprise. We'll see. Visionaries get a lot of pushback, Sean. Martin well, Luther King. Know. Jesus Christ. Um, you know, the list goes on. People get a lot of pushback when they're visionaries. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not gonna uh, be a part of you putting your name in the same category as those people. So let's move on and talk about the Jordan Doc, because I think that that's probably the best avenue to go after you brought them up. After you know you saying that you're a visionary in the same light as them. So episode seven and eight, what do we think? I thought they were good. I thought they were some of the better episodes in the show. Um, again, Bleacher Report pissed me off because um, they. They did, like, a breaking Jordan would have made it to the major leagues. Like, thanks, guys. We watched the fucking documentary. Uh, that's something. You just wasted 0.5 seconds of my life reading that. It, it's killing me. <laughs> I know, man. They're fishing for a lot of content these days. I have not been on there that much because I'm, like. They're doing they're... MLB redrafts, and that's actually interesting. Yeah, they did the 2009 one the other day. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool because that was a loaded draft. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, man. Overall, it's tough. Yeah, I'm sure it's tough for them too, but maybe they should hire us and we could we could make good content without having to make breaking news off something that happened what, 22 years ago? Yeah, and I don't like the I don't like the live updates that they give either about like as it's going on. Like, can I just watch this? Like can you just not write anything about it or tweet anything about it until it's over and like we got a little bit to digest it and take it all in? I thought it was awesome. I thought it was revealing that episode 7, man, like he was as cathartic and like real like human level that we've ever seen of him because yeah. even with him talking about how insanely maniacal he was he was able i mean he even knew how to take that little break there when he was talking about you know if you if you don't want to be pushed if you don't want to win if you're not going to do what it takes to win then you know i don't want to deal with you and he has to cut to break i mean i was just like wow like this is this is raw yeah, I love that attitude. Um, and just some people weren't ready for it, but the guys that he had with him clearly were. They won six, so. I think the baseball was the best thing to happen to him, though, just give him that break. Yeah, and, and I thought, too, what was really cool about it was, I mean, he he did not just do that because he felt like he was trying to fulfill something to his father or something he just kind of thought was a hobby, like, you heard about the work ethic he was putting in. I mean, till his hands were just completely covered in blisters from hitting so much. I mean, I think what was interesting about it was, you know, you hear about rankings and the tiers of the minor league system, right? 
But one thing I know you know this, but like Double A is really the hardest one because that's where the best prospects are. Triple A it's a little watered down because you got some journeyman MLBers on a you know minor league deal trying to just hang on by their career. But in Double A, like a lot of the top prospects' careers get accelerated there, and yeah. and they don't spend a lot of time in Triple A. So to hit two hundred two and have fifty RBIs before the strike is pretty remarkable, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes you wonder what would have happened if MLB didn't have a strike. He was only in his mid twenty. What was he? 20, 27, no, he was 30, no, he was thirty three, dude. Thirty three. Whatever. Who cares? That's yeah. still young. It yeah, does make you wonder what would have happened. No, for sure. I mean, I think he obviously would have made the major leagues. Maybe not off the merit, but he would have made it just because Jerry Reinsdorf had the White Sox and it would have been box office to have him up there. And I don't think he would have embarrassed himself. I mean, to be able to hit 200 and, like I said, have 50 RBIs, he was stealing bases like a madman, like Ricky Henderson status. Like, he would have found his way on a White Sox team, you know? Like, I think – that he easily could have had an okay baseball career the rest of the way. Bench yeah, player sure. maybe come into the starting role if a guy got hurt. Thankfully, he didn't. I'd much rather him as a basketball player. Um, but I thought that was that might have been my favorite episode so far. I, I agree with you. I think you know, and just talking about his father's death and how crazy that was and the conspiracy theories that went into it about how it was tied to his gambling and all that. And, and people that say know, that, I just call bullshit on the thing that it was a pseudo-suspension because there's no way, even if it's just Michael Jordan and David Stern, there's no way they get kept under wraps without any proof for, like, what, going on 20, 25 years now? Yeah, and on top of that, too, man, like, the, the the nuances of how long he was out and what he did and all that like there there's too much that goes into that for that to have been premeditated like that was like what are you gonna say you're gonna miss exactly a year and a half of basketball and then you're gonna come back and you're gonna wear 45 it's like no like jordan would have just like hung out or he would have tried baseball like he was going all in and he reshaped his entire body to play baseball and it's like, no, this was not a suspension. And absolutely one of the dumbest conspiracy theories I've ever heard. Yeah. And, I mean, David Stern's not going to get rid of by far his greatest asset in the prime of his career if he can hold, if he can hold on to it. Yeah, he's not Goodell suspending Brady for deflating football, so we'll put it that way. No. If only Grady were, uh, Grady, Brady were a better athlete, he would have got pissed off and moved on to baseball or something else. Although Brady was He drafted. was drafted in baseball. Yep. But yeah, no, I, I thought that overall, I mean, it was definitely, episode seven was, it showed him in the most human light. You saw the scene of him just collapsing to the floor after winning for his first title back in basketball post his father's death because his father had been with him for all those moments. And it was just, you know, like the, the Scotty Burrell thing and the punching Kerr in the face. And it's just like, this guy was going to do everything it took to win, and you could see it was taking a toll on him because he had to be the bad guy. He had to be the alpha. And that's a, even if that's your natural demeanor and personality, that's hard to know that you're going to have teammates that absolutely despise you and they just appreciate you, you know? Yeah, for sure. Clearly exhausting. Absolutely. So I, I thought, yeah, so I, I thought episode seven was great. And. You know, then you go into eight and you're talking about him 
now really back into the NBA swing of things. And you've got the Space Jam bubble, which actually is kind of funny because it might be some kind of maybe a fort, you know, foretelling what might happen if the NBA today gets gets restarted. But to have all those superstars out there at Warner Brothers uh, Studios and playing with them and the work ethic he has, shoot all day, then play a pickup game for three hours, then lift. Like, what? who the fuck does that, man? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. And still trying to work. Obviously, that's considered a job when he's working with Warner Brothers. All that stuff. It's just... It's insane, but I mean, he knew that if he did that, they were they were going to win. Right, and at least he would not be embarrassed because he, you know, just making the shit up about guys. I mean, who was a player on the Bullets that he made up the story that he like talked, like said like nice game, Mike, to him, and then they made it a big deal, and then he's like, oh yeah, that never happened. Yeah, like, just to motivate himself. It's <laughs> insane. Yeah, and it was just that's awesome. actually insane. Awesome to see the B.J. Armstrong thing. And universally, these players, whenever a player does any slight towards MJ or a fan or whatever, they're all like, oh, fuck. Like, there's no player like that today. No, no. I don't. Well, I, I mean, I don't think there's been a player like that ever. Yeah. Aside from him. Because I think it's obvious, right? Like, the, he never played in a game seven in a final, of a final. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't like, let it happen. It, it was just... And we're going to see his he, he toughest was, moment coming up. Uh, yes, we are. off a of game seven against the Utah Jazz. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's that kind of wiring. It, it's just not normal. And and you see him try to describe it, and it's hard for him to because nobody can understand that because there's Michael Jordan, there's even the best winners of all time, and there's everybody else. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, just – completely changing his game the second time around, not being as vertical. I mean, he was still a great athlete, but obviously there were some miles on that body, and he got beat up by the Pistons. It's not like the NBA of today. You're getting killed out there every game. Just an incredible overall player, and he's the GOAT. I mean, let me ask you this. I mean, we talked about it a little bit last week, but with episode seven and eight down, and you see his baseball career, you see him, you know, dealing with his father's death you see him coming back and the dedication he put in i mean i know you knew he was the goat but do you have any more affirmation is the distance between him and lebron or anybody else like even that much further apart than you otherwise thought yeah i think universally the distance between him and lebron is getting further by every episode and there's just nothing lebron can do about it unless maybe he goes out and wins a couple more titles and plays for 30 years or something like that Pretty wild, man. Um, another piece I want to talk about with you uh, is Scotty Pippen, who, you, you know, in episode, I believe it was episode seven, when they're talking about Jordan going to play baseball, the season that they had uh, in 95. And Pippen is, sees the play drawn up for Tony Kukoc, and he won't get off the bench. And how Kukoc shaved his ass by making the shot. But then for him to say in the interview that he'd do it again, like, what the... He looks as bad as anybody. I know we talked about Krause and Reinstorf a lot. Pippen looks awful during this thing, right? I think that's... Between that and the injury, uh, refusing to get the surgery till October, um, I, th- I, I think... I don't think he looks great, but there's part of me... 
I don't respect the Scotty not coming out for the last shot thing, but the other part where he looks bad, the waiting for being spiteful with the injury and stuff, there's part of me where it says, like, nobody else is standing up for this guy. He's incredibly underpaid. I understand that you sign a contract, you got to play through it, but, I mean, they were just straight up disrespecting him, and I just think when it comes to that, I didn't really blame him. When it, when it comes to the last second shot and everything, I think that was a lapse in judgment, but I was shocked that he said he would do it again. I, I don't know about See, that. See, that's my thing. That's my thing. Like, you know, if you want to have remorse, I mean, I know Bill Cartwright, like, was in tears post-game because – you know, and even Steve Kerr said it in his partial interview about he was our guy. Like we, we loved him and, you know, we cared about him. We just couldn't believe he did that. And we had to let him know how much that hurt us. So, you know, you're getting through that. And I'm, I was waiting for Scotty Pippen to be like, yeah, I mean, that was wrong. I mean, that was selfish. So for him to say he did it, he would do it again. I mean, that's just all time bad guy right there. He wanted his Jordan moment. He's not Jordan. He's just not Jordan. And that was the right play obviously, to have been run by the greatest head coach of all time. Yeah, he's not Jordan. And there's a lot of times where, you know, plays shouldn't be run for superstars to get the last second shot because that's just not them. And bad coaches make those calls. And Phil Jackson refused to do that because he's a great coach. Yeah, and I mean, that wasn't Because the argument where it's like, well, the greatest player, the best player on the team always takes the last shot, I think that's bullshit. I think that's bad coaching, I think. The best play should be drawn up unless you have Michael Jordan on your team. I mean, even LeBron, yeah, the, he'll pass if it's if it's the best option. Yeah, the only time I can remember LeBron not making, you know, the maybe drawn up play was I think it was in that 2015 series against Chicago when LeBron hit the buzzer beater and there was a pass that was supposed to go to like, I can't even remember, it was some ancillary piece of bench guy. And LeBron basically told David Blatt, like, no, fuck that. It's coming to me. Because he also knew he was the best option. But the, the great players, even if they know they're the – if they don't think they're the best option, they won't force it. LeBron, in that sense, just – he's like, I am the best option. I'm going to do this. Pippen wasn't the best option there, obviously. Coach was money from that spot, and he ended up hitting the shot. I don't know how you could possibly say that you would do that again and put your team at a huge disadvantage. Not at all, man. And I do think Scottie Pippen looks bad, but I don't think he looks that terrible because I think a lot of people are feeling he becomes off as kind of a, a sympathetic figure when it comes to the contract thing and how terribly he was treated. This one, on the other hand, he's not going to get off on this one. No, I, to- I totally agree. And, and I, I see your point about feeling sympathetic. You know, Jordan, up until that last year or two, I mean, he was grossly underpaid as well. So... I mean, that just was what it was. I don't think that he appreciated um, Jerry Krause openly trying to trade him and saying that he wasn't going to trade him. That part, but we we know that, especially in the player empowerment era. You know, like, that happens. That's business. And we've seen your boy Jamal Adams not take that all too well on the NFL for the Jets. Saying, listen, if you're going to trade me, trade me. If you're not, be honest with me and, and tell me I'm your guy, which Krause refused to do. Yeah. And, I mean, again, it's just an absolute murder of Jerry Krause's name. It's rough, man. It's rough. Somewhat deservedly so, but I I, I don't know. It's tough because the guy doesn't even have a chance to defend himself. Do you think that he got – 
I mean, we talked about, I think, the first time we discussed the first two episodes that he had the Napoleon Complex, right? Like, do you think, how would you feel? So let's put it in your, in your, in your case here. Let's say that you built this team. And yeah, you have the beneficiary of the best player of all time. But you were the one that made the trade for Scottie Pippen. You went out and took the chance on Dennis Rodman. You traded uh, for Horace Grant. You have you traded for Bill Cartwright. Like you have all of this. There's no reason why you shouldn't be getting the same kind of love. Just unfortunately, the best and most famous basketball player of all time is on your team. How would you have felt? Would you have said, "I'm going to be happy taking this"? credit because everybody who respects the GM role knows I kept this going or would you be like where's my piece of the attention no I think he had I don't think I have an me personally I don't have a Napoleon complex I'm the boss and that's just how it is but with that being said I think he did get his due I, I don't understand I'm sorry that you're not Michael Jordan and that you're a general manager and there's a lot more great general managers than there are Michael Jordans and he was a two-time NBA executive of the year. Like, what else What else can you do? He yeah. clearly was no, recognized I, I for that. Right? I I mean, he's, he was, and that's what he should have been paying the most attention to. I mean, the peop, his peers and the, and the media voted him as, hey, you're the best to do this job in the league, twice. Yep, not to mention... He was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 2017. Yeah, I, I think it's hard. I, I mean, we knew that was coming. I don't know if he was alive when it happened. He died in 2017 as well. But, I mean, I think he got, for what a, for what a general manager deserves, I think he got his due. I mean, what general manager is, like, highly regarded like that? I mean, Red Auerbach was a coach and a general manager, so he's going to get a lot more respect. The coaches get a lot more respect, but it comes with the territory. If he wanted more respect, think- he should have named himself the head coach, and if he was successful, he would have gotten more credit. But guess what? I guarantee you he wouldn't have been. No, absolutely not. And, and I think that was, you know, his whole thing was, I built this team. These are my guys. He didn't They're draft Michael Jordan. You know no, I mean? but he, and that's I think the thing that kills it is that it's like, all right, you made a shrewd trade for Scottie Pippen. You made a good move trading, um, and getting Horace Grant. You made a shrewd move trading Oakley for Cartwright. He made all the right moves, but at the end of the day, the reason why they're six-time champions and the reason why he's got six rings is because of Michael Jordan. You didn't draft Michael Jordan, so you got your two-time executive of the year. You're in the Hall of Fame. Sit down and relax. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing we shouldn't leave out was he, he not only found Phil Jackson, but then, you know, put him in the in the head coach's role when Doug Collins was doing quite well, and that really vaulted them over the top. But I understand, and I, I totally agree. And we see the best-run teams with sustained GMs. You know, Brian Cashman has no desire to override management or, or you know, like – the players on the field, you know, yeah, he you makes, see, the, makes mean, the moves. Brian Cashman is probably one of the be- probably the best GM in baseball history, right? Uh, as far as just maneuvering with with salaries Since the free and, agent and era, everything, right? It, it's been yeah, he's up there. I mean, five World Series or four. You don't World see series, him. Yeah. You don't see him saying that he's going to fire Joe Torre and trade. I don't know. I mean, they kept Jordan, so I wouldn't say Jeter, but trade Posada. 
Well, it was never an ego thing with him. Like exactly. all the moves he made, like all, all the moves he made were great for the organization, but they weren't done to, you know, to make him look great. They were, Hey, you're going to make me look bad if I'm too loyal. You know, like there's that famous when Derek Jeter was up for a new contract after the 2010 season and, and Cashman was lowballing him and Jeter's like name three shortstops you'd rather have than me. And Cashman had like a list of like 12. And, you know, Jeter walked out of the room and obviously they were going to get that deal done because it was Jeter and the Yankees. But, you know, Cashman was like, I want you back. But on these terms, I'm not going to give you a five or six year deal at this point in your career. That's that's a dereliction of duty to the franchise. But, he, you know, he never made it about him. Jerry Krause wanted it to be all about him. Also, in, I guess Jerry Jones in 2010, I get it. The Yankees had been coming off a World Series, but they didn't just own, uh, uh, you know, they own the 90s. But that was a long time ago. They didn't just own an entire decade like the Bulls did when Krauss broke it up. Right. And I guess one other guy who, who I mean, he's also the owner of the team, but Jerry uh, Jerry Jones. I mean, he's, he, he oversteps his head coach. He overrides every single decision all the time, and he has to be out there. And I think we've seen that's been at the expense of Cowboys' success. Yeah. I just can't think of a team that was still ready to win with the GM openly trying to blow it up. No, nope, not at and all. And I guess that's why he gets shit on. And, and rightfully and so. And I think it's rightfully so, yep. Absolutely. Um, what did you think about episode eight? I thought it was really good as well. Um, you know, I liked hearing about his altercation with Kerr and how Kerr said that brought us together more. Um, obviously, the whole Space Jam situation was very interesting. Yeah. Um, building the bubble, having all those all-stars come over and play and they would do pickup and even playing shirts for skins and shit like that. And then he'd have a gym on the side, all the machines on like the outside the baseline where he would then stay and work out. I mean, that was pretty, that was pretty cool to hear about. Um, and then obviously the Gary Payton situation where Jordan just openly laughs at hearing Payton's comments about how he could have shut him down and changed the series. How about you? I love the Gary Payton thing because I love how Jordan laughed at it, but I still think he respects Gary Payton. Oh, yeah. I mean, Gary's got a ring, so. Well, I think what it is is it just like all those fires that burn inside Jordan just come back up when he sees a comment like that because his ultra-maniacal competitiveness is just like, no, he fucking wouldn't have. He just laughs because he's, you know, he's going to fall back into that mentality of feeling like he's being disrespected by saying that this could have even been a series if he guarded him the whole four games or, or every game of the series. So that was just funny. I think that's what the laugh was about. But yeah, I mean that back and forth. Gary Payton was a dog, man. What a what a great defensive player. The glove, you know, for obvious reasons. Yeah, also a very good offensive player, and I think they would have won had Sean Kemp not kind of lost his mind there. And gained a lot of weight. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say they the should have won. Be- oh, yeah, okay. You're not talking about that 96 season, no. that series, right? No, okay, Sean good. Kemp yeah. was at his apex then. But I think when Jordan moves on and whatnot, maybe they steal one. They were really good. They had some bitter, bitter games with um, with Barkley's sons there and like from like 93 to 96, 97. I mean, that was... That was a legitimate rivalry out west. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I took a lot from that. I thought it was very interesting, the whole Space Jam thing. Like I said, how about you? What, what else did you take from Episode 8? Or you kind of fall in line with those being the highlights? Yeah, I, I'm definitely there with that. I thought they were my two favorite episodes so far. Um, uh, it's a bittersweet moment next Sunday. I mean, I, I've been waiting for the for this to get capped off and for the story to be finished. But at the same time, then, you know, we're sitting around waiting for football, whatever basketball is going to do, and baseball. Yeah, now, I do like how they're know, telling this story, though, how they're talking about the 98 season, but then they start at the beginning, and then they're all going to collide, assumingly, in episode 10. You do like that, right? That's It's really well done. I agree with you. I wasn't sure if I would love it at first, because you're trying to then cover everybody else's stories, but you're right. The more it's gone on, I think around episode four, it's like, okay, yeah, I like this. This makes sense because you're paralleling. a rewind thing just to let you know we're going back in time here. I mean, it's exactly how I would have directed it if I were to, if I were tapped for the job. Okay. Hey, I mean, it, it seems like uh, it seems like it's a really good job. I don't know if you would have right off the bat, maybe with a little counseling, but yeah. Uh, and I mean, also, it's... I mean, it is about the '98 season, and you don't want to just talk about all the lead up and then do one episode on the '98 season when this is about. I mean, it's called the last ride, right? And last dance. Sorry, the last dance. Ouch! It's Ouch! That was rough. That's what I would have named it. Um, but. <laughs> But it's called that. It's about the 98 season. It's telling that story. And they also had way more footage from that season because that's the year that MJ let them follow him around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I do hear Ken Burns's side of it, like talking about this, how it's not a great documentary because it's not really historical. It's all told through the lens of Jordan. And I get that. I think there's different ways to do a documentary. I'm not going to argue with arguably the greatest documentarian of all time as to how it's supposed to be done. But I mean, uh, let's just put it this way. I think it's incredible. All Cinematically. Yeah. I mean, it's been directed. Also, like, what do you, it's not just told through Jordan. There's like a trillion interviews. There are, but the thing is, is that, this the reason this has been called the Jordan doc is because all of these videos and media clips and whatever and you know Jordan has had at his you know at his access he's just never wanted to do it up until a couple of years ago so all of this stuff got obviously passed through him and he endorsed it i don't think he if, if there was something obviously crazy on there I mean, he wouldn't. I mean, you heard about before this thing even came up, dude, that he was worried about how he was going to perceived in the public eye after this came out as just an awful person and being a bad teammate and shit like that. I don't see that at all. I just see he was insanely driven, but everything here got pushed or got passed rather through him. I don't think there was a single interview or a single part of this documentary that would have. That's been aired. Of course, because he had the rights to it, so he could have shut it down. Exactly, and that's what Ken Burns is saying. He's like, you know, this isn't, it's not, you know, this is subject more subjective than anything. But you're trying to tell the story of all these different parties through Michael Jordan's opinion. I mean, he's the most, he's the reason we're watching. Of course. I don't need to hear the Jerry Krause story or the Scottie Pippen story. Scottie Pippen's a, a one-episode Thirty for thirty. They've already done yeah, the Rodman story. Yeah, although you wanted, you know? although you wanted the Phil three three part series, right? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring for that one. Would you, You'll direct it the same way? Direct it, yeah. No, yeah. I, I don't think I'd do the same way. I don't think I'd do it the same way. So you wouldn't do, like, one part? You'd maybe do his, like... His playing years and early coaching years, then his bulls years. Yeah, I would do. I would do a normal timeline with that. I don't think it needs to be done like this for him, because this was just all a lead up to a single year with all that footage. That's why they're kind of bouncing back and forth. Where if I'm telling the Scottie Pippen story, I, I excuse me, the Phil Jackson story, I just wanted to be shown how he became who he was. So you got to start at the beginning and, and work your way forward. I'm with you, man. No, I really do like how this has been done. Um, sign me up for that Phil Doc, too. It is funny how we you react could be, to um, Phil's You could time. be my assistant. Looking forward to I it. Drink, um, I drink my coffee black. Uh, that's good. Me, too. Um, but, yeah, uh, not getting your coffee. You can find somebody <laughs> else. Um, I do like, though, that like we're reacting to this in lifetime, and not just us, but athletes all around from all sports like it's the first thing they're talking about because now you've got this maybe baseball thing is happening i mean you've got the proposal in from maybe two games right players association exactly so they took away yeah and um they want to play in cities and regions but it's going to be dependent on what cities are going to allow those stadiums to open and then also um, and so Universal DH will be on there. There will be a uh, taxi squad. It, it's going to be something different, but the biggest issue and hurdle, it seems like, is that the players and owners are at an incredible divide over um, prorated salaries. And the owners don't want to do it, and, and it actually benefits some owners not to have a season at all rather than to play a season in front of no fans. So I don't know if this gets done. I hope to God, dude. I, I know we say this as baseball fans, and we'll still watch our games. But if they don't find a way to get this shit done, and for them to both swallow their pride, I'm talking about the players and the owners, baseball, I don't see how it gets up from this. It barely got it from the 94 strike. They needed the McGuire-Sosa home run race in 98 to get it back. If, if no season is played, not because of health issues, but because they didn't meet all over money, I don't know about you, I don't know how it gets up from it. In what way? I think baseball still exists. I'm just talking about like there's fans are gonna fans are going to lose their shit, and they're not gonna. I mean, they have no sympathy for these play, for these players anyway, which is weird how mostly they side with owners who are billionaires over players who are millionaires. But the look is just so awful, where the country is at almost a twenty percent unemployment rate, and if the season's not being played because there's a disagreement about money, I I. That just looks so unbelievably awful. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen. To be honest with you, man, I think they're going to. But how would you out. feel? How would I feel if there's no baseball? Me personally, I'll just wait till next. If there's year no baseball, if, no, no. If there's no baseball because of that, like, how like, would you be like, honestly, fuck this shit? Like, that's unbelievable. You're 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 taking away a season because you guys can't can't find a common ground between money. I always blame the owners. They make enough money off the local or the regional TV rights. Okay. Always blame the owners. Well, that's good. You're in the minority, actually. Until I become an owner, of course. 
<laughs> then it's the players' fault, right? They're greedy. Mm-hmm. They want Absolutely. too much money. I mean, you saw this coming from a mile away. The owners don't want to pay, and the players want to get paid. I don't know what common ground they can come to here. It's tough. Um, and saving grace would be Amazon for... buying the entire season for $20 trillion. Yeah, well, their biggest thing is talking about the gate. Because it's not just ticket sales, it's also concessions. I get that, but if the money gets replaced by Amazon paying $20 trillion or some astronomical <laughs> number, then what are we bitching about here? I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Amazon's going to come in and bail out MLB franchises. I don't know, man. A lot of content. That would be... A lot of data you but can it's... collect from that. You know how many people would open up Amazon accounts? I mean, who doesn't have one right now? No, but think about all the customers that they would get because there are people that don't have one. I guess I'm just torn about like, it's not the, it wouldn't be the like streaming or it wouldn't be anything about getting it on TV. That's fine. But the money that they're losing from the gate is is a tremendous amount for all teams. I understand that, but I'm saying if it was if that money was replaced, it's not gonna okay. be. But in this hypothetical, it would be. So the gate doesn't matter in this hypothetical. Okay. But with that <laughs> being said, it's not gonna happen. Fine. I mean, no, think about not. all the overhead they're saving on though. Nobody has to work except, I mean, the people that keep the lights on, right? Right. But I don't think those are the people that they they don't mind paying their little salaries. It, the reason that they wouldn't be able to keep paying them is because of all the money that they're losing from them, not from people not buying shit. So to put the games on TV, that's no big deal. They'll get their advertisement money and that's all great. And that is the majority of it. But if you have 45,000 people coming in 81 games a year and everything that they're buying in the stadium from foods to merchandise to whatever, that's all, and, you know, think about the sweets and all that shit. That's all money they're losing. So that's what I'm talking about. A lot of the owners for lesser market teams, they, they're they like, listen, I'll just eat this year if everybody's eating this year. But now if I've got to contend and put a product on a field and pay players, I can't do that because 40% of my revenue is gone. Yeah, it's tough to look at. I don't know, maybe... We'll see. Maybe they could do the whole spring training idea and, and let certain fans into the stadium. I don't know. That'd be interesting. We'll see, man. Um, NFL schedule got released. Uh, let's start with your Jets. Um, what did you take away from this schedule, and how are you feeling about the season just based off of nothing other than games 1 through 16? They got hosed. It is an extremely difficult schedule. Are you looking at you it? Get, I am. I mean, you guys, your last four games are brutal. Look at the first two. You start off with Buffalo, then you play the reigning NFC champion, 49ers. Play Indy. That's a tough game, right, on the road. Mm-hmm. Denver, at least you're home. You don't have to go to mile high. Arizona, you got to chase Kyler Murray all over the field. Not a great team, though. Chargers, fine. Face Buffalo again. 
Then you're facing the defending Super Bowl champions at home. New England, I don't know how to feel about that yet. Obviously, your divisional games, you have Miami. Week 11 bye. How do you guys feel? How should I feel about that? Well, it's obviously really rough. I'm just looking at your end here at Seattle, at the Rams, two straight West Coast games, and then to finish up at home against what's going to be a better Cleveland team, and then a New England team that I can't imagine is punting and might actually be fighting for now that third wild card spot. They've got to have a top five roughest schedule. I got to be honest, man. There are so many ways your season could have been configured that would have made me believe you could have been like an eight and eight, nine and seven team. This has seven and nine to me written all over it. You're going to need Darnold. Yeah, you're going to need Darnold to play like Superman with a couple of these games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they have the toughest schedule in football. That's just me. But. I think of all the possible teams to get into the playoffs or teams that we were feeling better about after last year, I think you guys got one of the Ross deals. Oh, for sure. I think that 49er game, you know, obviously 49ers should win, but it's early in the season and it's it's heading East Coast and 1 o'clock, 10 a.m. game there, body clock time. Maybe you could, you know, pick them off early in the season. We've seen that happen before, but – yeah, I mean, I think even if you're in contention to finish off with Seahawks, Rams, both away on the West Coast, come back and play Cleveland and New England, I mean, that's that's a morale killer right there. Absolutely. They may sign Jason Peters, which I might get a little more excited about. Oh, I like that move. Yeah, he's thinking Logan about coming Ryan back. possibly, too. What? I saw Logan Ryan possibly too. Anything that helps the offensive line, I love it. Well, Logan Ryan's the the corner, but oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm just talking about Peters. Okay. Yeah, I mean, get more depth in there, right? I mean, you you beefed it up with Mackay Becton and Connor McGovern and George Fant, and now you can maybe just bring in a proven veteran who can play a couple different positions there and. More depth on the line is not a bad thing, and I think and I think Logan Ryan would be a nice again a nice added depth piece to your uh, to your cornerback area. Yeah, for sure, which they definitely need help at. And he's you know former Patriot and Titan and knows how to play good defense and and make plays. Absolutely, I feel bad well, for your Jets, man. I thought they were going to be in a better spot. I mean, schedule makers just did not make this easy for you guys. No, not at all. I mean, this feels like a playoff team schedule, and they didn't make the playoffs last year. I know. Isn't that <laughs> insane? That sucks. It's As a fan, I mean, I, it's just demoralizing. But we never know, right? I mean, we just look right off the bat, and we pick games based off of last year. And where do you feel, man? Is it like week four or five that you start to get a feel for a team, or does it take even longer than that? I think it takes till about they, week eight, halfway through. Yeah, to stop thinking about them like the year before, right? Yep, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually a halfway through the season guy to know fully know what team the, the team is. No, I'm with you, and especially counting in injuries. I mean, I do think the Rams are going to have a tough time, so maybe you go out there, but having to play Seattle late in the year out there, who you know are going to be fighting for the playoffs, if not in it. I mean, you know, Cleveland is going to be Cleveland. I think they're going to be very good. 
and then the Patriots would like nothing more with everybody shitting on them, you know, especially if they're close. And even if they're not close, they're, yeah. they're going to want to beat you. So tough yeah. sledding ahead, but we'll see. Hopefully Darnold's healthy, man. Hopefully Darnold's healthy. Yeah, we will definitely see on that. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a broken man at this point. <laughs> it sucks, man. It sucks. I mean, just getting to the Giants here. I mean, the schedule makers gave us our first game of the season. We're home. The Giants are home against Pittsburgh. Interesting really way to weird. start. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's not at Dallas. Which, by the way, the Giants don't play Dallas till Week Five, and it's in Dallas. This is the first time since 2009 that they are not playing the Cowboys one of the first two games of the season. Very weird. Is that good or bad for you? I don't know. I mean, I'm looking here, and I think, you know, our schedule starts off a lot easier, I think I would say, compared to what the Jets have. And by easy, I don't mean – by easier, I don't mean easy. I mean, I don't know what the Steelers are going to be. I don't think much of Roethlisberger. Obviously, I haven't in a few years. Their defense is great. But they could be picked off. I don't look at that as a game that, like, oh, no, I'm, you know, starting at home, Steelers are going to kill us. The Bears are a winnable game. The Giants actually should have beaten the Bears last year in Chicago. They blew a game late. But then, I mean, San Francisco, we're getting them the second half of their two straight games in New York after they play the Jets in week two. Then we go out west, Rams, Cowboys. They're only favored, and the Giants are only favored in two games, and they're both the Redskins games. <laughs> Deservedly so to the Redskins on that one. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was kind of surprised with the fact the Giants got three primetime games because they're not a good team. But one of them is Brady on Monday night, uh, on Monday, November 2nd. So, you know, Brady and the Bucks coming in to play the Giants. I, I get that. Um, if the Giants do what they probably will because they're sappy and cliche, they'll probably induct Eli into the ring of honor that night. That would make sense to me. Um, and then finish up with Cleveland at Baltimore versus Dallas. That's three losses right there. I mean, if the Giants can somehow win six games, I'm going to be thrilled. But it was interesting to see how they started. I think starting the season and then getting three primetime games was probably the most interesting to me i don't know how you feel yeah i'm looking at the giants right now and i think they have five wins looking at their schedule how many i think they have five okay i think you have five games games. possibly possibly a six if you can get cleveland at home i think you could that's a beatable team right there as well um and arizona at home as well so you could get possibly get seven yeah, yeah, I I think that would be absolute best, best case scenario. I think we're yeah. looking at, like, what, what you said. I think five is – I think they have to win at least five for it to be a step in the right direction because for sure. I know you and I have talked about it. This is really year two of the rebuild. Like, I know it's been three years under Gettleman, but that first year, 2018, I think we can all acknowledge as intelligent NFL fans that that was not, that that should not have been counted as a rebuild year. That was a win for it now, and and it was awful. So with Jones and the young team, this is really year two. So if you go from three wins to five wins or six wins, 
I think I would be very, very ecstatic about that. For sure. I think starting off against the Steelers is a very winnable game. I think Chicago gets that at home next game. Possibly. I mean, their defense is still really good. I don't know about their offense. What's an ideal situation for your Jets based off the schedule? 8-8, eight and eight, man. And that's not what I wanted to see. But being what I, seeing what I'm looking at, you're going to lose to the Dolphins once. You can pencil that in. You're going to lose some. You're, gonna, you're probably going to split with the Bills, right? Probably. I mean, it's these 50 50 games. It's the Chargers. You know, it's the Colts. It's games like that, that that you really have to take advantage of. The Raiders at home, going or Cleveland at home, going to the Rams. Those games are the ones that are really going to determine whether or not you're a playoff team or whether or not you're 500. I totally agree. It is funny to hear you talk about Cleveland, though, because you know I like nothing more than seeing them lose last year, and I thought they were way in over their heads with a bad with a young head coach who clearly didn't know what he was doing and Baker and then the schedule that was really, really tough. I think this team is so much better getting into this season than they were last season. I agree with season. you. I just don't know what they are. They could implode again. Or they could mm-hmm. be very good. I, I think Cleveland probably beats both the Jets and the Giants this year. Yeah, I would put my money more on them beating the Giants and less than beating the Jets. But you're right, they'll be favored, obviously, in both those games. Well, the Jets are at home. We'll have to see. I mean, by then we'll really know what the teams are because it's Week 16. But, I mean, it's it's a brutal it's a brutal stretch. It is. So I just said about the Giants, right? So, like, really you're entering year two of a rebuild. You've got your young quarterback going into year two. You've got a rookie head coach. I think if you win six games, that's best-case scenario. If you win five, I'll, I'll take it because that's a two-game improvement. The Jets finished last year, I think, six and one, right, or five and two. They went. They finished seven and nine, which is pretty remarkable for where they were. Um, given the fact the schedule's tough – how would you evaluate – how are you going to go into the season evaluating your team? Is it going to be if you win – or if you lose, rather, but you're just not talented enough, and in that case, okay, it's fine, we lost to a better team? Or is it going to be like, okay, Darnold's not taking that next step, or that game was winnable, but our defense made bad penalty. Is Gase not looking good offensively? Like, how would you – how do you feel like you were going to go into the season and evaluating the games? I'd like to see them be – Eight and eight or five hundred or above, obviously record wise. And again, it's I sound like a broken record at this point, but I just want to see progression with Darnold. Like for this season, my goal, barring a catastrophic injury, is for him to play every single game and play and be and have a chance to win in the second half of every single game. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, how are you going to look at your head coach there, Mr. Crazy Eyes? I want to see him do some things with, with Sam Darnold and really, really take advantage of his talents. I mean, last year you remember the game where I don't remember who they were playing, but Darnold said, we got to open this thing up. And and um, Gase said, well, uh, what, are you, what were you waiting for? Um, and then after that, they just ripped off a couple wins in a row and the offense looked significantly better. I mean, you remember that Oakland game, 34-3. That was an incredible game. Um, a couple other games after that, Darnold looked like 
a very, very good quarterback. So I think I want to see more of that. I think that's fair. I would too. And yeah, for Gase to just have a little bit more innovation in the offense, I think a better line is going to do that for him. I think Lev Bell is going to have a better year. Um, yep. You Got know, the to, ageless to wonder me, in there, Frank Orr. That's right. What do you think of that sign? Do you like it? I do. I love that. Yeah, I'm tired, not, of, them right? these, I'm tired of them bringing in these no-name like running backs that are looking to make a name for themselves and trying to steal the shine. Frank Gore knows exactly what he has to do. Left Bell's the starter. Frank Gore's going to come in and spell him every once in a while. Great blocker. Great overall running back. Future Hall of Famer just surely based off longevity and, and volume. Um, and, yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do with this offensive line. They actually have a serviceable offensive line and a few new weapons in there as well. Yeah, I, I think that if you go 7-9 and nine or 8-8, eight and eight, but it's a different kind of 7-9 or 8-8, eight eight, eight, meaning like you hung with some really good teams and they were just, you know, and your Jets were just not quite as good, but they hung with them, they played tight, they played smart, disciplined football, Darnold put up numbers. I think as a Jet fan you can live with that because you know the next year your schedule is going to be more conducive for you. I One think if you're making pe- – Right, but I think if you're going 7-9 and nine with – games that should have been won or easily could have been won and you know Gase is not making adjustments or Darnold's not taking that next step or going bad interceptions at inopportune times you look at the season differently right absolutely I mean we'll have to see after the season but it's definitely going to have a feel to it kind of season where you you just have to come out if you lose how did Darnold play that's that at the end of the season the Jets with the miss the playoffs, which they most likely are. My question is just going to be, how did Darnold play? Yep, and that's a that's a fair evaluation, man. Um, last question I have for you. NFL, they've seemed to be the league that's taken all the steps, and they're doing everything. They've done free agency. They've done the draft. They released their schedule on time. All these other leagues, I know a lot of them were either ready to start or were in the middle of their seasons but they've seemed a bit more timid. How do you feel about the public perception of Goodell in the NFL right now? Because personally, I think they've just absolutely killed it in the last couple months because they have not been afraid of public perception, and it's actually turned into a good thing for them. What about yeah, you? I think, I think Goodell finally just stopped caring and running the league to make money and just kind of being not upfront about it, but just not saying anything, and that was perfect. And I think he looks a lot better because it used to be trying to make the league look better and all this good stuff. I mean, if he just, I think if he makes decisions solely based off money when it comes to all of his things, he'll be fine. Like if a player makes a domestic violence mistake or egregious thing, that loses money for the league. Suspend him. Yeah, I agree. Like I think all uh, those decisions are fine now. Make make it based uh, off money. Yep. And, and you know what, too, is I think what this has shown is more for all the other sports. Just take a page. I can't believe I'm saying this. Hey, the NFL's playbook. They don't give a shit. They're doing their thing. They're getting loved for it and it's, where, for a league that doesn't get loved for anything. And it shows that there is an absolute starvation for any kind of sports thing. I guess you could put the last dance right up there with it. So MLB, NBA. NHL, maybe don't worry so much about public perception as long as everything's healthy and you can get through with it. 
fucking just go for it. People want people want this shit back, right? Yeah, for sure. And again, if if we have another full lockdown and whatnot, and all the cities get shut down, I'm sure if there's laws, the NFL will abide by them. But as of right now, there's not. So push forward. You know. I love it. I I, I give them a lot of credit for what they're doing and for deprived sports fans like us who are fucking junkies. Uh, I'm just happy that they're going forward with it. And I hope every, I hope all the other commissioners look around and say, you know what, this is what we have to do. So let's see. Yep. It's a wait and see kind of thing. All right, buddy. Uh, real fast. Start of your week. How's everything going? You talked about the pushback you got. What have you been doing the first couple of days of this week uh, before we talk again in a couple of days? Not too much. Same old stuff. Pretty much like everybody else. Trying to get out on the golf course soon. I was looking at the weather. There doesn't seem to be any more of those 40, 40 degree days, light early, like high 50 degree days in there. It seems to be all 60s and 70s coming up. So we're moving into June. I need to get out on the golf course. I'm getting tired of this. <laughs> Beautiful, man. I like it. Do it up. What about Get out you? on the range? Um, not much, man. Uh, kind of same old, same old as well. Um, just trying to be outside as much. Like, kind of taking my workouts more outside, trying to run outside a little bit more because of that weather. So that's kind of what I'm shooting for. Um, just was told by my job that they're not reopening until September after Labor Day. Down in Stanford, of course, to you. So uh, nice. We'll see. We'll see what ends up happening there. Um, so you got about three more months. Three and a half, really. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like three and a half, closer to four. Jeez. Yeah, a lot of up in the air. A lot can change between now and then too. So I'm kind of just you know rolling with the punches and trying to figure out what I have to do remotely to make sure I can keep my job and everything. Because no, there's nothing else you can uh, do. Exactly, it's kind of a big deal. So I was shocked <laughs> here in the September date, but then again, I was kind of like, not really. It's in the epicenter of everything, so. I'm going to check that shit out. But um, we're going to rewatch another awesome NBA playoff game um, and do a, another throwback Thursday this week, right? Absolutely. So let's get after it. I'll talk to you again in a couple days, my man. Yes, everybody stay safe. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports. By now, you guys should know the website, SorrySports.com. Sean, my article's still not up, but we're not going to talk about it today. Um, we no, have no, podcast. you can't bring it up until you until it's up there. You just can't. Yep, uh, we need to get more content up there. I need Frenchie working. I need Mike Phillips working. I need you working. How about yourself? I need myself working. Anybody <laughs> okay, else that wants go. to? Anybody else that wants to write? Shoot us an email. Sorry, sports at yahoo.com. If it's a decently well written article, I'll take a look at it. I'll review it and I'll throw it up if I like it. Not even if I like Perfect. it, if it's well-written. And you can write about whatever you want. I don't give a shit. Write about gardening for yeah. all I care. Yeah, we just need good content. Maybe you can write about uh, the history of child labor laws. I think oh, I'll that. take that. <laughs> stay topical. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we'll be back Thursday, everyone, so stay safe. Stay safe, guys. <laughs>